thank you for listening to True Crime 49. We are nearing the end of Season 2, Joe Millionaire, with one more episode left. If you haven't listened to earlier episodes, we encourage you to do so. TC49 will be releasing an Inches and Mercury episode in preparation for Season 3. Please see our website for extra content and Patreon for our other podcasts, AIH Calendar Girls, Inches and Mercury. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram. And finally, special thank you to our listeners in Ohio, Alaska, Hawaii, and Washington, D.C. Season 2, a serial podcast about a man they would call Joe Millionaire, a rapist. A story of absolute perversion kneeling at the altar of the god oil, bathed in power, drugs, and slathered in sex. Thank you for listening to True Crime 49. Listener discretion is advised. The old woman was half sitting side saddle on the comfort chair. She was telling a story to the two children, their mouths open and eyes deep like saucers in the night, when she saw the younger woman enter the room. Pulling in of air in her chest and the putting on of a good front doesn't hide the arc of worry. Quickly scanning when she saw the old woman with the children. The old woman smiles, a slight hello. She could almost feel it before the door had opened. These last few days in the spirit energy, the girl's eyes collapsed to pleading, and they were saying I'm sorry, never moved from across the room. The old woman's eyes flashed, and the children were ushered away somehow, and the weeping messenger girl coming across the floor. It was the first time that in the silence of the nonchalant, that God's smugness. The old woman was holding it against him, as if almost to say, you eat this then. And there was no answer. And it seared something in her. And then she broke down. Welcome to True Crime 49. The little girl sat at the grandmother's knee listening to the yarns. In the flash of the summer sun, lingers forever like in love. Smiling warmly, eyes holding the last contact. Crazy look towards the collector of the debts just a minute longer, holding it off. The dip below the horizon. In a long, flat angle, glancing over mountaintops, almost level. Through the birch leaves and the spruce, showing the warm of gray air saturating the valley. With salmon and alder smoke, shining through across the footpaths, the children are running and giggling. Flashing in the light, she is bounding. She's as good as any of the boys. She stops and spins back the voices of a woman calling. Heaving chest and eyes alight and smiling, the ray is red through her frizzy little hair, wisping golden. 
illuminated by a sword blade of sunlight slanting somehow. All the way down through the tangled canopy across her glowing ribbon. She perched her ear in the sunlight and even held her breath for a second. But it was the voice of the fulcrum. And the little girl lost spirit a little. A tiny star shatter glittered down in an increment. The term grand in grandmother encodes mountains of blueprints, carrier of so much of the design of life. In this case, grand simply insinuating that there is a fulcrum present somewhere. Between two kiddie pools, a fulcrum could be placed and have them both teeter-totter, smiling and waving, splashing up and down, slowly, a behemoth. Slid both to one side, though, and the fulcrum slid next to the corner of the foundation, and the lever could lift the corner of the house for Grandfather, like popping the hood. In 1954, Naptown, Alaska was renamed Sterling after Holling Sterling, the road commissioner who died before seeing the Sterling Highway completed, which ran through Chugach National Forest and Kenai National Wildlife Refuge. There were 115 residents of the remote town. Alaska is known for its freedoms, and many religions pioneer churches, like Moon and Ray Mullen, who helped start a Baha'i Fellowship. They raised their children and eventually grandchildren in a town that had little more than necessary for the seasonal influx of outdoor folk, fishing, canoeing, and camping. The bright flash of summer and the onset of those long, cold, dreary winters a world of dim gray to daydream in and long for the world of the summer sun. And with each new melting, she emerged wanting to see it all. Kissing down by the slough, the salmon were all but filling it, but they couldn't care. Smoking cigarettes and flicking it out into that beautiful turquoise river. Running around in rough-running trucks and old family cars, the stereos blasted out raspy. Out across the expanse of nothing but alder spruce and the empty miles upon miles of the Kenai. Grand mother prayed to God. And it didn't seem to work. This new boyfriend and she's starting to pull away. He keeps getting arrested, and every time they let him out, she gets pregnant. It's amazing how quickly it becomes. She's a tough girl, and she's smart. She leaves him for good. And she slips out the back, and she's moments from taking her ride to the city to secretly prepare a place for her babies. Being a child loaded up for a special occasion, watching your village fall back on the horizon. Looking out the window, driving along blindly in the trees, a child knows these roads. To Anchorage, they sound like Christmas music and they smell like the state fair concessions under that big wheel with all the lights and there are people up in those chairs up there. The 
Then the trees break away to landscapes of the moon, covered with bronze-speckled cranberry bog sponge grass. Lonely scant spruce trees to a rolling sloped horizon. And the road becomes the young girl's headphones, the world outside droning on. Her and her best friend sharing their earphones feel so alive to be young, going into the city looking cool. Gonna push the limits on this one. Not really though, technically a teenager anyway. And the road song of frowned down upon two rough music chanting in the girl's ears. Becoming hollow and too mesmerizing to look at now on the way home. It's better to just look out the window in silence. The heart is sick with a big frown, trying to look normal, pulse pounding on stealth mode. The roads remind of the often traveled memories and especially the ones you don't look at often. From home, mother in fulcrum pleaded to this beard energy. When grandmother was young, she was a judo girl. All of the boys wouldn't even dare. But she was good. And she always dreamt of teaching little kids the art of throwing a person like a ragdoll. Even their knees knocking together when they slammed down would be bad enough. The coconut head on the sidewalk, though? Only if you really, really need to. The Lord forbid or whatever. Sierra Ray Mullen was born March 6, 1982, in Soldotna, Alaska. Her middle name was of her strong Grandma Ray. She had two brothers and, like most Alaskan girls, learned to hold her own. Often Alaska-grown in rural Alaska means rugged living. Kids spend time outdoors, camping, fishing, unquestionable rope swings, and as they become teenagers, drinking at someone's trailer are far-off places. While Anchorage feels rural to many, it is truly a big city to the kids in Soldotna and surrounding towns. You can feel like a big fish in a town of 4,000 and never even register in the city of a quarter million. The angle of the car tilting upward to jostle the brakes a little bit of afraid in the pump. The memory gone. The years have begun to flash. It is up into goat path roads, up the pant leg of a dry bottom fjord, just high enough to see you are in a massive valley, the walls of which must be the record needle of a giant's heartbreak, gone of this world, then you realize you've seen her, that blue turquoise river no wonder, you can't blame the mountains for giving it all away to her. She slips by your window at times you weren't ready. She flashes her leg up at you through the trees. Seemed it was gone in an instant. And there are some things you can't hold on to, no matter how hard you want it. By 2004, granddaughter was 22 years old. 
That was the year her ex-husband walked into the courthouse to echoing footsteps. It was just a formality, really. The town knew why when he filed for and was granted full custody dissolution and said it plainly. Absent parent. She wasn't absent, though. What a strange way to see the difference between two absolutes. By ripping the life fabric apart. These spiritual truths in their natural orbit going peacefully around the stable nature. Becoming oscillating by strange forces, becoming gravities. Teeter tottering recklessly, making them curve out of path in a new balance. Farther than you ever should. The seasons. Staying up high for nearly three weeks, then crashing out. Night becoming a flat book, folding inward blacked out for days. The star chart becoming creased on the edges and pages touching back to back. There really is no telling where a tiny star on a straight line will appear. Eventually on the flattened out star map, losing shatters of heart glitter the whole time. It appears to disappear, every other page reappearing so far away and coming up again. You can sit in awe of them, but never ever upon them with envy. At 19, Sierra Ray Mullen married Kenneth Ray Roberts, and they had two children. One of the few photos of Sierra is taken at her father's photo studio. She sits barefoot and cross-legged in jeans with her infant in her lap, toddler on one side, and her similarly dressed husband, Ken, on the other. It's unclear what happened to Kenneth in 2002, but court records show a long list of assault in the second and third degree, reckless endangerment, coercion, and many more charges. Sierra left the Soldatna Kenai area shortly after for Anchorage. I guess there is always collateral damage. Once upon a time there was a boy born in Cove, Utah. The ocean is so far away, a strange calling in the mountains made of salt. His father's middle name was Jeffrey, a name popular among the peoples who took many wives. Warren Jeffs on the evening news, the very busy father of a makeshift town, gaunt wives and daughters intermingled. Or Jeffrey Lundgren. He did his thing in the church. He'd hide listening for God knows how long he must have loved it. To speak of it candid prophecy later, bestowing amazement in that girl's eye. As he touches her as the Lord. Upon her shoulder, fingertips having made it to first position, into her untouched hair. Having to move for the sake of rumors, periodically back to Missouri. The year before the boy was born, Jeffrey was frustrated pumping grudges his poor wife Alice. It was the finances. Too many kids had eaten all of his sustenance. In the fringes of the church, mother moves like rumor. Having to stay ahead of the will of the Lord, 
periodically back to Missouri, trying to ever be invisible to the government interference. Public schools were the devil. Modern medicine? Ha ha ha! The little boy was a toddler when they uprooted and moved again God's blessed will. And this time, he really meant it. Some infraction from without, someone in leadership who has become a swine, treading upon a bed of pearls. Someone in the family taking the brunt of it at times. If they hadn't done whatever it was. Stopping the spirit and the blessings of the Lord. The little boy lived in the woods, the hum of the town and the devil's cities out there in the night. The smell of the foods on the wind. The moon played like an accomplice he loved to watch. In the daylight, though, he saw a boy like him drinking a green concoction. It had bubbles, and it looked mother-hissed when he approached the subject only once. Without the hum of electricity, the hauling of water buckets looking up, the reflection of those airliners, they are endless and there are people in those chairs up there. Isolated from the worlds, he began to hunt the creatures in the Bible, the rifle cold as the wind. It is still in the blind and it fires. The steam rolls up from the stomach as the young man is doing chores. To drag meat home for mother. And she praises him. Part splashed in micro-dot blood. For a while it shined on him like a hundred years of sunshine. Out on the fringes of their existence, the range of the game trails, and he began to come out on the edge of the townsfolk. Coming out of the woods, as he wrote in his letter. Streetlights pushed back the black, neat roads. Off to the right, a graveyard appears, lines of stones. Bodies mold below. He is walking out slowly, soaking it in. Cemeteries. A landfill. The abandoned farmhouses. His family could live like royalty in any one of them. The young man creeping through the rooms. In the decrepit. Imagining breakfast with a spread-out ransack, clothed in cobweb and dust. Walking into the family room, the shadows of father and mother, nearly stained on the back wall, the years of the farm radio, then eventually the television. Burning their eyeballs, they cannot see the world for what it is. But it was when he started finally breaking into living person's houses. That's when he knew he was different. The vase of stems and buds, he recognized them. He walked in with the refrigerator buzzing on in the night. And he was climbing back out the window with a few guns and some other bullshit. The vase caught his eye again. And it had opened. While he had peered through the door slit the couple sleeping. The death flower bloomed. It was beautiful. 
chant. And he stopped and he stared. And it felt like forever. In a swift of fabric or something, he was gone. Instantly from the black rose. And into the dark. The tools of an oppressor, whether in personal relationship, work, religion, or legal enterprise, are similar. The perpetrator appears as a savior. They tell the person they're unworthy. No one will love them. No one will believe them. They are completely alone. So they give up, give in, and feel like they have no choice. I guess there is always collateral damage. When words spread around about Sierra... In her last three charges, she thought of the old woman for only a second. Good little judo girl. Her old merit badges sewed studiously on her sash from years of community. There may not even be enough years to forge a new one. The impeccable sash is basically a testimony at this point. But have you seen the last one? The flash and the blur, time slipping away that first month or two out on the street. The cop rolled up and hand motioned her into the blind corner. Sierra, a street girl now. When she emerged, there was a change in her spirit energy. Having swooped swiftly the peace officer by threat of his little paper book, she was a stiff ragdoll for him, eyes to the side, a polite grimace. Inside, banging, gaping, shock. She walked away. It was as if the world had begun to stiffen. The old film dragging and clustering like thin ice flow as she moved, becoming unattached to herself anymore. She walked away from the cruiser needing to clean herself. And there was no more swagger of this street girl. She was a real person. Inside looking around like a fish flapping in awe. Upon the boat's deck. These spiritual truths becoming taunting evil whispering in grandmother's ear. The repetition. And getting the John off. The clicking sounds, gawking and nuisance tears. A bit of humiliation, of course, as he grits his teeth. Her grandmother awoken to the dark, is praying in the night. And it was the vision of his hand, plunged into her frizzy hair. While praying, the vision overtook her, interrupting her spirit prayer, mid-word. In the dark, the sound of her own throat glub gagging it was surprising as if there was a demon standing in the room orchestrating it in IMAX with impunity a relentless straining erection grandmother learned to hold your head down approaching the altar of prayer at an angle do not listen to the noises do not look behind your eyes and leave the prayer note swiftly. A 
upon hers it said only safety for the third girl in the bed. Because she's transparent now in the death darkness. And she was never the same. But from then on, she would take the prostitution charge. And she loved to see the burn in the cop's eyes. His legs had been quivering like a nasty goat. Now the cop is frustrated he can barely sit still. It's really not that big of a deal, a flash in the window, the river catching you unaware in the trees. Just before disconnecting the last thought about the old woman, it was almost a shucks. A smile and roll of the eyes, the truth is the spiritual old woman probably knew it already. And then the realization of what that meant. The upwelling of the tears. Rushing felt like it would blow her top off when it arrived. She got the night going as soon as possible and got so high she was invisible. Cloaked in the death energy elusive to wishes and prayers. Coming up empty in the night. You can dance for certain companies and make your own money under the table. You can walk the track, usually downtown in Spinard, or you can work for a house, an escort service. Jerry Starr ran several services, and a lot of girls would rather work for a pimp than take their chances on the street. While the Anchorage Police Department as a whole serves the community well, there are many reports of sexual misconduct with sex workers by officers on duty. Many organizations have been working to, to keep offending officers accountable, as victims are hesitant to report anything to law enforcement, even when their lives are in danger. Bob Penny pointed his windows to the sun. He'd watched it burn across the sky, white glowing brilliance. Bob Penny standing in the mass of shadows like an Aztec or an Incan. His Northway Mall was a melting pot, melting apartments in the edge of trailer courts, the people becoming a little more complicated. The three girls walked into the big glass doors and came into the open cavern acoustic tiles and drywall. The fourth girl's a bit timid, but she's learning to walk with the pump in her stride like the other girls are. They're all getting their nails done. The girl is starry-eyed and is shocked at how the married women would guard her sisters. Here they are with their silly little chemistry set, absurd goggles you can't read the ingredients right. She drops in two drops of wild passion into a large warm tap water and a drop and a half of timely delivery. With that, having cultured a cycle of relations with the husband, and these girls walk up and they are like cowgirls, imagining them up on the range in the night, rocking back and forth in the saddle, welcoming the flow of energy, not resisting it. The housewife's tongue tastes a tinge of bitter. The little chemistry bottle seems so inadequate now. Thinking of these girls laying hands on her working man, the best she can describe it is Benihana. 
The one girl's hair looks really good like that. The nails are glistening. The housewife with a sneer on her lip. She's standing with her hands folded like a mayor on her belly poking out. From a side angle, hmm, at these girls in heels. And the man walks up from behind his hands out like the coming lord. His chain and his rings and the gold in his ear. He calls them a pet name and they coo and call him daddy. They take the turns, nodding. She's putting it together, she's in trance. Call it the moon or the tides. Women are almost all blood sisters. Any woman could be the mother of nations. Every one of them, a different clan. Her Dairy Queen cone was running down the back of her wrist, a foamy cream spiraling down. The one girl nodding, yeah, with pouty eyes, while the other one is jumping in glee and clapping. The third is standing closer at an obedient angle, close to his forearm, never touching. Forehead becomes hot, maybe it was the sun blaring through Bob's windows. Her heart is rippling in the logistics. It tickled her forearm, the foam warm and rolling to a stop. And that's when he looked over at her. An eye lock with daddy. And the housewife feeling almost high. She felt the crush of a grape. Deep behind the buttons on her acid washed leave eyes. Daddy and the girls are riding away in the car. She always takes a door with the handle that's all fucked up. The one girl is really touched that they all go out and get their nails or the hair done as a family. Every time she's finding now, there's a new girl. The new girl looks around. Sierra has been here a while. Along the way, she'd had all types of clients. And some would become regulars. Talking under the sheets after, he would touch your auburn red hair. And he said she... She saw something developing in Daddy, manifesting in beatings and choking mostly, and she slipped out back one night from the family, and she made it. The new girl rode on the side with the broken door handle now. Sierra lived in many of Jerry's residences. Her kids would come visit once in a while. At some of the homes, there was an older woman or someone's daughter who would be the house cleaner, cook, and babysitter for the escorts. There were birthday parties and trips to the fair as long as they continued to go on dates. Jerry was beginning to lose his grip and was no longer running the service as a business, but as a pimp, a gorilla pimp depending on what he was taking. Girls were missing and murdered, and Sierra saw her chance to leave. Grandma was coming down to the end of her years. She had thrown her merit sash upon the altar, angry one night. It is folded neatly next to her long bed. And she is praying still, waving finger, wobbling, recalling that there is a reason for spells of blankness in the eye. And she is praying to the thing and her granddaughter gets invited to Joe Bohm's place while he's locked up when they were there in Joe Bohm's condo and Redmond comes out from the back room 
The knot in her throat became ice. They came for her, and they found her. But the word had come from Joe Millionaire from inside the jail. They heard she was trying to get clean. An apartment. Boom. A little spending money. Done. No more tricks. Your old phone goes in the wood stove. Get your license. Maybe go to classes. Classes? On what? And he looked at her. Standing on the tile floor. The white carpet at least seven feet away. Standing in the stale, dim emptiness, the world outside muffled and basically non-existent. In no movement of his eyes, the conversation concluded. And everything was going great. At first, in-house custody. But really, this was Sierra. Pretty soon, she could run her own errands and she had classes. Then she had a new set of goat trails that she was using. The old to and fro's are off limits, really. Why get sucked in? But there was this one store where she had always gone to. Everyone does. It was basically the only path that overlaid connecting her old life with her new. And that's where he saw her. In March of 2008, it was reported Sierra was going to testify at Joe Bohm's hearing and did not show up. I could not find court documents to verify that information. However, in March, Don Arthur Webster was in the middle of his court case, and several of the workers testified. NamUs lists Sierra's last date of contact as March 4, 2008. Alaska State Troopers list September 14, seven months later and the Anchorage Police Department gave Sierra a seatbelt citation December 4th of 2008. Sierra, with her auburn hair, worked a corner for months before she abandoned it. She cleaned up enough not to have any further citations after July of 2008. She was fully licensed and in a legal vehicle in December. Sierra was one of the few girls that could place Jerry and Joe Bohm anywhere near Ruby with intent. Bambi Tyree from prior episodes testified to Joe Millionaire spending money while incarcerated for Sierra, who they wanted to keep close. With both Joe and Jerry Starr locked up, we can only wonder what happened to Sierra the weeks before Christmas, and as December and 2008 slipped away. Four years pass. The hunter kid from Cove, Utah, was here now. He had selected a spot where he could blend in to the urban mold and watch her. Counting down on the counter is the plane tickets. Two bought with the airline miles and credit cards. Dutifully the bags are packed neatly. Hours to go now, a family vacation. The last items mumbling in slumber. No, he's in the dark. Upon white snow, large flakes falling and his feet crunch walking up to the window. Late at night, his eyes would dart around, alone at their house. Finally, he's reading this young girl's posts to her friends in the glow of the screen. And she is bragging that her and her boyfriend had stolen someone's drugs and that they had connections. When he read that, he began to rub his palms on his pant legs 
rocking back and forth a bit. He can barely hold him back. It's his due, letting him have a family. He is approaching the window, and you know what the worst part is? That this little bitch acted like it was the first time he'd ever come in there. The tape shows the abduction. This evening of, his girlfriend kept tossing and turning. He would check on her periodically. Later, it was the third ice and whiskey. The time he peeked in, and she'd finally went to sleep. The hallway seemed to glow with items, sporadic, normal objects, placed incidentally. They are haunting out. He can still hear them now, jumping at the lube. The quivering vocals part gagged staccato with each of his proclamations. A man bound to a stool. The terribly horrible welcoming. He picked out two wine glasses and joins the girl from the message room and in the coffee stand, bound in the shed in the driveway. Right out in front of everyone. He tucked her away to be played with later, the temperature perfect for a very deep chill. Partial tissue freezing. The conditions were a huge factor. To prolong the butterfly wings, smeared in punishment and tears. Gray and blotted, she becomes the moth princess, he wrote. After returning from the cruise and the other destinations with the family, he described her. She was still in pretty good shape, he said. As he was preparing to abduct her from the coffee shop at 6.18, it was exactly 27 degrees that evening. He had literally spent time with her, all the way up to taking a shower, waking his daughter, and getting on the plane to the Caribbean. Sierra had been missing for four years by then. She had last been seen by a traffic stop back then. The cop noted her license was current. The car was in good standing, but she had her seatbelt off, though. And that was it. The lights attracting the attention of any peering eye. If you look closely into the miles upon miles of seamlessly random airline tickets over the years, the tickets show that within two to three days of the cop last seeing her, the guy with the shed, the one with the family computer, utterly destroyed and in the landfill now, within two to three days of the cop letting Sierra drive off, he was jumping on a plane to a Cancun family vacation. In Anchorage on that night at 7 o'clock in the evening, it was just barely 5 degrees below the temperature water will crystallize at. (whistles) 
When asked later by the fumbling detectives and agents and attorneys jockeying around the table, they talked over each other and they couldn't even keep their own mouths closed while he was divulging information. Frustrated with their arrogance, he let it slip this one rare instance. They were asking about this girl that had disappeared in the lower 48. Her car was found by a highway underpass. The interview spoiled now, the sandpaper-voiced guy's pink thing kept coming out. Every time he would reveal that, <laughs> that Israel would have been passing by that very spot, that very evening, on his itinerary for that trip. The sandpaper voice finally quiet, his lips a smirk slipped by, but his belly gurgled into his throat while he was standing in the prestige. The boy from Cove, Utah, having been splashed in microdot blood, looks at the meager scraps or slivers of any accurate information that's in those folders on the table. He's all clean now, nodding along with them. Then he breathes in swiftly, you see? The gesture brought the gaze into the man's eyes. And the pink thing looked down, squinting, and went back inside. That's how hard it's going to be for you. Without me. Find us online at TC49 Podcast. See show notes for more information.